You're listening to the Premier Podcast Network. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hey friends, welcome back to Foundation Radio. My name is Adam Bernard, and I just wanted to say thank you to everybody that's tuned in and everybody that's given me positive feedback on this new format. I'm really still trying hard to figure out what's working and what's not, so any feedback is really appreciated, and I just wanted to say thank you. Uh, If you know of anybody that you think I might want to talk to or anybody that you think is fascinating or funny or has got a great story, send them my way. I'd love to check them out. You can hit me up on Twitter. You can hit me up on Instagram. It's the same handle. It's at thisisgoober. Today's word is sex, and boy, do we get into it today. Uh, My buddy Drew Kerr would stop by, and I didn't expect to get so deep with him and so honest and so raw, but honestly, just what happens with me. Most times when I start talking to people, they just start unloading and they start sharing all of these intimate secrets with me. It's something that's happened my entire life. I could sit down and meet someone for maybe 10 minutes, and the next thing I know, I'm knowing their life story. I'm knowing about the things that they like and dislike. I'm knowing about things that happened to them in their life. I guess people just feel extremely comfortable with me, and I'm grateful for that because I put them at ease. Drew and I took a class in high school called Studies in Sexuality, and we both agreed that it was honestly the most important class we took in our high school careers. I mean, look, and it's not just because we got free condoms. It's because it taught me a lot about being a person, about being an individual, individual, what I liked and what I don't like, and what I should share with my partner. What's the right thing to do? And I think that's missing in a lot of our public school systems right now is honest and real sex education. And that inspired Drew to start a career where he travels the country and talks to different sororities and fraternities about true, real, gritty sex education. All right, so here's where I actually have to be a producer and give you the warning. This episode contains a ton of explicit and sexual language. So if you're not interested in listening to Drew and I talk about butt stuff or my first sexual experience or what the fuck you actually use a dental dam for, you're better off probably just skipping this episode and going back into the archives and finding something you like. But if you're still here and you want to listen, thanks for joining us. Friends, let's welcome Drew Kerwood to the podcast today. man it's been a long time how you been yeah it's it's good it's doing pretty good i'm you know living it day by day and trying to not go crazy (laughs) dealing with college students and covid and all that fun stuff yeah how's um how's covid treating you how's uh fine you know the the staying at home part hasn't been too much of a problem right um and you know getting out once in a while having a little bit of social social activity here and there but yeah for you know for me it's been it's been all right it's just every once in a while you just get stir crazy and you're like all right i need to go someplace <laughs> whether that's target for the third or fourth time that week or something 
you just you just need to get up and go and, and listen yeah. there's there's nothing wrong with going to target three or four times a week that's that's kind of how my life is anymore anyway but um so you're i mean as far as like social life like have you been to any of the bars you're in philadelphia right no i i moved to indianapolis oh that's right indianapolis right 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 yeah i uh i'm coming on my i think i'm starting my third year here so oh, okay yeah. So how yeah. is how are the restrictions out there as compared? Because I know they just like reopened bars and restaurants in Philadelphia for I think it's like twenty five percent occupancy or class saw, or something. Yeah. yeah, something like that, which I think is a fucking mistake. I think that's insane. I, it's it's, it's, it's not- wild because I I have a lot of fraternity brothers still in the Westchester area, Philadelphia area, and some of them are you know working restaurants and stuff and. I saw the same, I saw the article of governor Wolf being like, yeah, like we're going to open up 25% indoor capacity. And some of the comments were like, Oh, this is great. You know, this is a nice, good step. You know, some people were a little bit more cautious, but then like the other half were like, this is ridiculous. I can't believe he's not opening up more and it's ruining the restaurants. and It's going to kill the bars. And I'm like, y'all are insane. Like we are in a global pandemic and we are the worst off country for it. Like, like nobody else is doing poorer than we are even like any other country like we suck at this situation <laughs> and you're gonna complain about we do we're the fucking about worst, not man. being able to do this like maybe you should complain to your senator or your house rep and say hey pass this bill so that we can get some more support you know that'd be a thing that's my <laughs> that's my soapbox for the night It'll probably be, it's probably like- Probably one of many soapboxes. <laughs> that's that's what we're here for. That's what we're here for, Drew. We're, I'm all about it. It's it's uh yeah. I just I feel like there's a certain level of, I guess audacity is the right word. American audacity is that the, the best way to put it. It's just yeah. like it just it ceases to amaze me the level of like linguistic gymnastics that people will put themselves through in order to justify, you know, uh, opening up bars or opening up. I mean, like, like you said, we're, we're literally in a global pandemic and it's, it's not just some fly by night flu bullshit. Like you said, it was like, this is, this is the real thing. Like we all know people who were impacted by this and it just, it, it just, I just can't like it. Like it gets to a point where my brain just feels like it's turning to mush. But um, so we're actually here to talk about something different. But <laughs> we're yes. gonna just check in with you and see how it's going. But um, so I mean, tell me, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I mean personally, like I have not been directly impacted too much. Besides, you know, I got furloughed for two months from my job over the summer. Cool. Yeah, but it was during the enhanced unemployment, so I was actually making more money than not so it was, you know it was a nice summer break made it made it july it was a, it was a nice summer break um, take, advantage of it, take advantage of it and enjoy yeah i mean i i really did take plenty of advantage played lots of animal crossing and you know it was great um, that's awesome then I, had to come, then I had to come back to the real world and i was like oh right there's a job i have to do <laughs> Oops. Um, so tell me that, tell me yeah it's good Tell me a little bit more about your job because I'm I'm kind of I'm fascinated by it. What is it that you What is it that you're doing now? Because I know we had a, a a temporary experience working together in property management uh, yes, for yes. about I think like two months, which I'm no longer with that company either, thankfully. Uh, and I, <laughs> so, what do you? Well, I know I think that was sort of like the beginning of that, right? When when you when that was starting for you was around that time, and then so now tell me what you're doing. What you're doing now? Yeah. So 
I think right after that, I had gotten a job um, with Planned Parenthood, actually. Um, and I was doing sex education with them for a little bit in York and central Pennsylvania um, for about two years. And then I transitioned into working with fraternity and sorority life at the headquarters level. So every fraternity or sorority has a national office that does a lot of the administrative kind of things like record keeping and membership database and that kind of stuff, but also does, you know, we do a lot of try to do a lot of like chapter support, like, Hey guys, like we notice you're struggling. Like, how can we help you? How can we make sure you're not being stupid? Um, we also do a lot of risk management education because as you can tell, there's lots of, and you've seen on the, on the news, there's always something going on with fraternities and sororities and you know, they, they don't know how to not make poor decisions sometimes. So there's a whole wing of the fraternity and sorority side of things of doing education and like risk management um, stuff. So what, so what sort of, what sort of led you to that? Like what were, what were some of the things that, that interested you in, in that field? Was it just something that you fell into or is it something that you've always been interested in? What was kind of happening at? Yeah, it was a little bit of, a little bit of falling in, knowing people. Um, yeah, I joined a fraternity at Westchester my senior year. Um, I tried joining one junior year and, uh, as a junior, uh, going into a program that was geared towards freshmen and could sniff out the hazing real quick. I was like, Nope, I'm too old for this. Like, I don't care for this. I, <laughs> there would have been no way I would have gotten through a fraternity. No, there no way no. I just, and you know me, like I'm, I'm a pretty, yeah. I, I'm a pretty easygoing guy, but I can be aggressive when I need to. There just would have been absolutely no fucking way. I would have, I would have just, there's just, I'm just like, I ain't, I'm already established on the camp on this campus. Like I don't need, I don't need this for the reasons that undergrad, like freshmen need it. Right. So I scrapped that. But then uh, my fraternity was expanding to Westchester my senior year. So I was like, okay, cool. So the people from, from the headquarters office are going to be doing the recruiting and the member, the training and all that kind of stuff. So like not going to get hazed. So that was a benefit. <laughs> Um, it was a really good, it was a really good, it was a really good group. We had a pretty good group going, um, but it was my senior year. So, um, I was only there for a year, but it was really cool. I, you know, getting to join a fraternity was not something I ever envisioned until like the last minute. I was like, you know, what? let's, let's just give this a shot and see what happens. And it was really cool. And then right after that, I went to grad school for student affairs. Um, because over like through my Westchester experience, the idea of working in student affairs and higher education definitely got into me and bit me. Um, so I was like, okay, I definitely don't go to school for uh, higher ed. And I was really split between doing like a lot of work in LGBTQA student services. Um, Cause I was also very active in that with, uh, while I was at Westchester and then also for training sorority life really caught my attention. And, you know, after a while, after grad school, um, I had a really long job search experience, uh, which led me to, working with you uh, at that rental company for a hot second. Um, I think it, I, you said two months. I think it was literally two or three weeks. Um, yeah, I think as I, I know, I, we, gra we graduated high school the same year. We graduated 2003 yes. and I, I took time off after high school because I didn't know what the fuck I wanted to do. I had no idea. And I went back and actually the, the weekend that I think you left the company was the weekend that I graduated from Westchester, I graduated in 2012. So it was like, so I got this email and like, I was getting ready to move into my new, you know, new apartment on site. I was like, Oh shit. You know? But yeah, I mean, yeah. it's like, I, I, I totally looking, you know, hindsight is 2020. 
And looking back on it, I wish I would have left a whole hell of a lot sooner than I did. But, um, but it seemed like you fell into something way better and way more um, rewarding in a lot of ways from what I could tell. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, while I was doing my job search after grad school, I was, I came back to the Westchester chapter as the like chapter advisor, um, which now, is which back in my, I don't uh, know Delta, you, which, what is it? Uh, Delta Chi fraternity. That's it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a chapter advisor for almost four years. And looking back now as in a, as a much more mature professional, I'm like, Ooh, I was probably not a great chapter advisor, but as someone gra- fresh out of grad school, I was probably my best. Um, and you know, half the time I was job searching and then half the other half of that time was working at Planned Parenthood and Planned Parenthood is really cool. I, you know, I owe a lot to Planned Parenthood. Um, after high school, I got involved with an LGBTQ, LGBTQ youth group through, uh, Planned Parenthood in Bucks County, um, which was like really what I needed. Um, because I spent three years at, at community college after high school because I also did not quite know what I wanted to do. My parents were like, mm. we're literally five minutes down the street from Bucks. Like, spend some time there, figure out what the hell you're doing. Like, the concept of applying to, to schools, like, didn't occur to me until my senior year. And I had just, like, no concept of what I was doing. So I was like, okay, let's go to community college. This youth group called rainbow room is being like a lifeblood for me it's giving me a really good social experience and just helping me just like learn more about like the the community and make some really like lifelong connections like i still have friends from that experience that i'm close with now and that was 2003 2003 4 5 like that i'm still like really close with so like really cool that's amazing. Now, now it's Rainbow Room. Is that specific to Bucks County, or is that just like specific? Like, would, would somebody find that in Chester County as well? Tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah, so that's uh, um, it is a LGBT youth uh, program put on by uh, Planned Parenthood of Key, uh, Keystone, which is now the what they now call the affiliation. Um, oh. It's based in Doylestown, um, and it's been running since two thousand two. Um, and yeah, it's for 14 to 20 year olds. Um, and they do, I think it's every Wednesday. If you Google or go on Instagram, you can find, um, just look for like Planned Parenthood Rainbow Room or Rainbow Room Doylestown. And uh, yeah, it's been, you know, it's, it's, it was just a really cool experience. And then they, I was going to say that to touch on that for a second too, like when you say that it was a good experience, like what, 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 what did the group do for you, uh, you know, helping you? overall like what was what was yeah. that experience like like i'd love to hear more about that yeah yeah it, it you know it really helped me just become a better fuller version of myself i like knew going through high school like i was having that discovery process of of being gay and you know it was a slow process i was kind of sheltered a little bit from that concept and then it started to like i started to understand and recognize like what that was as a concept and then oh wait that kind of applies to me um and I went through this whole thing through like ninth, 10th, 11th grade, kind of trying to figure out where it was. Um, and then like I had, it was really funny because I had someone hit on me while I was working at CVS in New Hope, um, you know, typical high school job and had this guy, this older guy hit on me. And I was just like, Oh, that's where that everything clicked. I like the fact that this older, that this guy hit on me. Okay, cool. You know, I hundred percent cemented. Yes. I, definitely gay. Um, and then 
in in senior year, I was in uh, Mr. Harnish's human sexuality class, that sexuality elective. Yeah, that you yeah, have to get to- like the the notarized parental permission. <laughs> I had Mr. Pew. Yeah, I remember that class. Yeah, Compl- I, yeah yes. it was unbelievable. Yeah, that class is great. Sexuality, yeah. Yes. I recommend it for anybody who, who is in Council yes. Rock and if they still offer that course, I would absolutely recommend it to anybody. I would hope they still offer it because it is like college level. Like it's yeah, like just totally. short of a college level course. Um, so I actually came out for the first time in that class during wow. the during the wrap up of the identity box project. Now, were you nervous when, if you don't mind me getting a little bit personal with you yeah. here, uh, were you nervous when you came out in school? Because I know that, you know, my, my mom is bisexual. And, and mm-hmm. when we were at Wrightstown together, I think when we met in like fourth grade, that was when people yeah. started to sort of talk about that. And, and my one main bully, I don't know if you remember him, uh, that was one of his favorite talking points was, you know, basically using all kinds of homophobic slurs towards me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I always felt I've always had this like sort of jaded lens with rock when it comes to those sort of things, because the, not only what did that happen, like almost on a, on a consistent basis and not just from him, but people around me and adults and the police department, like these things actually occurred in my life. So when I hear you say that, like, I, I feel like, did you, did you experience that prior to, or was it something that happened after? Like, were you nervous in any way? So I was so oblivious to everything like the fact that that happened to you like through elementary school and middle school and i either don't didn't register it um or i didn't somehow like in the back of my head didn't register it purposely to avoid having to think about it sure um and like the idea of like knowing anyone else that was potentially out at our high school and i know that there weren't that many um at that time so like it, I was just I was just so oblivious to everything. Um, I you know I look back at myself as a middle schooler and a high schooler, and I'm like, wow, you know I, I don't know how I was so oblivious to now to the point where I can like I, I feel so much more informed about everything. But yeah, when I came out, I, you know during I was planning to come out during the identity box project, and I had in my box I was so hokey. I had a glass prism. Because, you know, when you shine light through a, per- a prism, you get a rainbow on the other side. Mm-hmm. You know, I thought that was so <laughs> insightful as a senior. <laughs> <laughs> that is pretty cool, though. I mean, you know, it was cool. Not it's cool. Lie. It was pretty, yeah, it's, pretty, it's a pretty good, good idea. I like it. But uh, I chickened out the last second and, like, made us some other thing, which was very revealing as well. Because I was like, oh, a prism, you can't really see the center of it because of the way the light reflects through it. And looking back at it, that really quick made-up excuse was, also very telling because I was hiding something from people, even as I was talking about something revealing. Mm-hmm. So when we went, we, everyone had done their identity box projects and, you know, we were at that final thing of like, okay, like everyone's gone. Does anyone have any follow up? Anyone have anything that they want to, any comments about the experience? How was it? Cause ugh, I, that class was so great. Um, yeah. And it was, it was. and it got to the point of like, okay, now's my chance. Like if I'm going to do it, like if I'm going to go stick with my plan, like let's just do it. And you know, I raised my hand and you know, I was like, Hey, like, you know, part of my box, there was one thing. I told, I said one thing and it kind of, you know, it did, it was accurate, but it also was me hiding something else. And you know, I just, I just was like, you know, the prism was also supposed to, you know, represent that I'm gay. And I don't really remember much after that. Like, I think I blacked out 
<laughs> just associated with yeah. I was going to say you get tunnel vision and you get like real lightheaded. Yeah, I've had moments like that for sure. Uh, I do remember afterwards talking to Harnish and um, he was like, he was just gushing. He was like so happy and proud of me and like supportive. And I'm like, um, he, he told me, he's like, yeah, I've had people come out to me individually, like personally, privately, but I've never had someone do it in the class. And he was just like, I, like, he was so happy for me that I was able to do this, but he also was like taking in the reflection that he had created the space that was safe enough for me to do that. And like, I think for him, that was such a, a validation. And it's just like, you know, um, that must be huge. That must be yeah. like a huge moment, not just for you, but for him as well to, to know that, that he did that. I mean, that's, that's, yeah. yeah. And then to the rest of the school year, like I didn't really touch the topic that much. Um, Harnish did give me the information about Rainbow Room, but I didn't actually end up going until after graduation. So like, it was one of those things of like, I was so like wrapped up with everything. And I remember him giving me this resource, but I never acted on it until like later. And I heard something else about it. I was like, Oh, right. Mr. Harnish gave me that information too. Why didn't I go to that? But throughout the rest of the year, like I barely touched it. I think I went to one GSA meeting, which is like secret. And we watched the hours and that was it. And I was like, okay, this is kind of weird. Um, I wasn't quite, I don't know. It, it was fine, but I just never went back to the meeting like that. Um, and then it just started to get around of like people chit chatting and gossiping about it. And then I remember like, it was a couple months later and I was sitting with my lunch table and it was like Chris McDowell and, um, that, that group, um, mm -hmm. if you remember that, that yeah, skater like, squad, yeah, I was gonna say like skater squad. Guys. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 I remember. Yeah. Uh, I used to sit with them, uh, uh, with lunch at lunch at that point and just randomly, and we were all, we all threw, were on the track team. We threw javelin because we thought that'd be really funny. Um, so I got a bit closer to them and they were like, Hey, we heard this thing going around. Um, is it true? And I'm like, what thing? And they're like, the thing that people said you came out in your health class, like a couple of months ago. And I'm like, Oh yeah. And they're like, well, why didn't you tell us? And I'm like, Oh, I don't know. I just never occurred to me to tell you. And, right. oh, and that's cool. Um, but it was just, yeah, I, I was such, I was so goofy about it because I had this big momentous experience coming out in health class, but then like, I mm. never brought up the topic and touched it again. And then right. and that was like a point of like, Oh, I guess I should like actively tell people. I don't know. Um, well, it's funny you say that to sort of just a sidetrack for a minute, just because I, I find this as someone who's grown up in the community. Um, and mm -hmm. I remember, you know, my mom and her partner um, marching uh, in DC after Matthew Shepard was, uh, was murdered. And I remember the Ellen DeGeneres episode where she came out and it was a huge thing. And, uh, one of the things I feel like now when I watch programs, like it's, it's, it's so much different. And like, it's almost like if you, if you grew up in the community or you're part of the community, you can see it, right? Like it's, it's hard to explain to someone who didn't live it, but like shit's, shit's Creek, I just watched recently. And you know, David Rose is a pansexual character. And one of the things I loved so much about that, and it, it kind of made me emotional a little bit, just remembering growing up and thinking about all that is like, no one gave a shit. You know what I mean? Like it always used to be such a big to do. I, I mean, it always like, Oh my God, Ellen came out and you know, it's a gay character on TV and, and you know, uh, queer as folk and all this shit. It's like, 
nobody cared. Everybody was like yeah. totally, and it was, it wasn't even like it, that it was a thing that people talked about. It was just knowing it was just a part of the community. And I just, how does that make you feel now seeing that, you know, almost 20 years after you came out, like, how does that make you feel? One, you're making me feel old because I realize it's almost 20 years. Um, <laughs> Sorry, Drew. I didn't mean to throw it at you. I mean, no, it's fine. Tonight. Like, we're, we're, both, we're both approaching our 20-year high school graduation. Oh, my God. Um, yeah. I can't believe it. Jeez, please. Um, mm-hmm. No, I was just thinking about that because, like, we – people in our age group have seen such a 180 – Mm-hmm. where it was, you know, it was this whole process of picking and choosing who to come out to and being, trying to be proactive about it. But also like, sometimes you're okay just letting the gossip mill take it, but also like, I don't want this person to find out potentially maybe. So like, how can I like buffer? And I definitely lived double life. I didn't tell my parents until I was 19. So two years after mm-hmm. I came out in high school, but like when I told my mom, she's like, well, what took you so long? I mean, you already kind of knew and I'm like well why didn't you say anything like <laughs> I'm sitting here ripping my hair out and stressing out that like you're gonna find out that I'm going to rainbow room every every Wednesday night and like hey you know having these experiences and I'm dating somebody and I am worried that you're gonna find out for some reason I look back and I'm like I don't understand why I was worried but you know you always have that worry uh, and yes. yeah yeah and it's just like Hey mom, if you already know, like, please just, just let me in, let me in on the joke. Like, just come on. Right. But just, you know, just it, was, it. Yeah. it was so anticlimactic. And this was also all just throwing more complications on top of this. This is while my dad is deployed in Afghanistan for a year. Oh, he was God. deployed in 2005, I think four or five. Um, so then it was like, okay, like, and like at that point I'm in the community college, my brother's in high school and my mom's working and we're all the three of us, you know, we're all live at home. We're all very living, very independent lives. Um, Cause it's just, you know, what we're doing. And then my dad was coming home and I was like, Oh, right. I need to catch him up to speed on things because a lot, a lot of shit has happened in the year that, you know, that he's been gone. You know, I had like my first real relationship. I never dated in middle school or high school, but I've had, you know, I've had my first real relationship before. Um, while he was gone and came out and was like making decisions about going to college after community college and all this stuff. And I'm like, okay, like I have to get that up to speed on everything. And it was really silly. Cause I was working at a, as a, a diner and I was like, okay, well, here's what I'm going to tell him. I ran out this whole plan in my head of like, I want to write him a letter and I'm going to throw it at him right before I have to leave and go on shift for my job. And then I spent the whole next six hours while I'm serving tables, shit in a brick, waiting for him to, you know, come home and see what his response is going to be. Oh my of God. course, again, <laughs> I can see you just like, like launching this fucking letter out. I'm like, I, I, Dad, see, I, I literally did. Love you. I literally did. I literally, I was just like, <laughs> here, read this. I'll be back later. And I'm uh, <laughs> just like, <laughs> and of course That's when I came it. home, when I came home, he's just like, well, I read your letter. Um, you know, your mom kind of filled me in a little bit and you know, you know, is everything okay? And I'm like, yeah. And then he was like, I feel like we were about to have a moment. And then my younger brother like walked into the kitchen who I'd already told my younger brother, but I don't think my dad knew that he knew. So like he clammed up and I'm like, well, there goes another anticlimactic experience. And I'm just like, <laughs> Oh my God. 
Oh, that sucks, man. Uh, and, and, I count, yeah. and I count myself lucky, though, because, like, you know, when I was at Westchester, I was really involved with um, LGBTQA. We're so creative. We called the student group LGBTQA. Um, and we were, you know, I did a lot of the speak out panels where we would talk about, you know, our experiences as, as out students and stuff like that. And, you know, I had people on the panels with me that like their parents completely disowned them, like, and they had horrible experiences. And like, you know, for me to kind of complain, like everything was so anticlimactic. It's like, you know, I have to take that in stride with, it could have been a hell of a lot worse. And so I, I really appreciate that. Like, you know, you know, through my experience, it's been, I put a lot of my own stress and weight on it only to find out that it was not going to be an issue, which I really appreciate. Um, right. Yeah. You know, <laughs> that's, yeah, I just, I, I, I guess, yeah, you, I, I know folks too that, that have come out and have had really just tragic experiences with their parents or the loved ones or, yeah. you know, siblings. And it's, 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 it's hard to hear that stuff, even in you know 2020. I know this is like the the yeah. time the time soup dog shit year of all of our lives, but like even I feel like in a lot of respects, just within the LGBTQA community, I mean, we like I've seen it come so far. The acceptance and you know and 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 the Supreme Court decision and all the things that are are. Uh, which 20, 25 years ago, I thought would never happen. You know, I mean, the, the tide has shifted so much and it's just, it's fascinating to see that there is still a segment of society that just can't seem to accept this for whatever reason. And it's, 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 it's hard because yeah. it's, it's, it's so archaic in a lot of ways, you know, and it's just, it's such a backwards thinking. And, and now, unfortunately we have a president who feels the same way, but um, it's, it's, it's so, I'm glad in a lot of ways to hear that it was like, it makes me feel better to know that it was so anticlimactic, but I don't know if I'll ever get the image of you. Like I could just see you at a diner, just like you're dead. <laughs> this letter out of, it's just, it's amazing. I just, I love that yeah, so much. But so how much of, how much of that, of, of, I guess it, it seems like almost all of that experience, you know, with your sexuality and your, and your, uh, working inside of the student body. I mean, that really transitioned into the fraternity sorority lifestyle. So when you start there and you get there, like, what was one thing that you saw that like, I, I'm, I'm curious, I have, like two separate questions. So we'll box it off the first one. What was one thing that you saw that like really shocked you? And what was one thing that you saw that was like, yeah, I kind of knew it was, it, this was happening in like, terms of like, uh, joining, so, joining as a student or working professionally, working, working professionally. professionally. You know, it, that's a good question. <laughs> I think they're almost the same answer though. of just like to a certain level. No, I think the thing that shocks me is sometimes you can have a really deep poignant conversation about the fraternity experience with these guys who at first glance look like a bunch of meatheads and you're just like, Oh, you guys are actually really insightful. I can have a really deep conversation with you about values or about, you know, mental health. You know, it's been a big conversation in the fraternity and sorority community of like, how can we, as a as a structure, you know, we are we are as a system, we as a support network. How can we use the fraternity sorority system to help support brothers and sisters who are having mental, you know, mental health struggles? And you know, yeah, you know, we're so used to men not wanting to talk about that, but like 
getting the request, we would want, we want to have, you know, a, a volunteer come out and do the mental health conversation with us. And every time I get feedback from those, from the students or from the facilitator who who's doing it, they're like, this is one of the most like important conversations we've had, or the facilitator saying, this is filling my cup so much. Like it's been revitalizing to see that they care. You know, it's just mm-hmm. like, Oh my God, like having those moments is so nice and so rewarding and so surprising even after I have them a few times and you just get a new right. one. You're like, cool. I was not expecting, you know, uh, a chapter at Valparaiso, which is this college, all male college up in Northwestern Indiana to be able to have such an open and frank conversation about healthy relationships and sexual experiences and in the context of violence prevention. And they were just, they were here for it. They had such a good conversation and we're just jonesing the habit. And I'm like, okay. Like, <laughs> this is all great. Right, cool. Yeah. This is fantastic. But conversely, all the stupid shit that we hear about fraternities and sororities is there. It's yeah. there. It's present. And it's just, it's frustrating for every one of those really awesome shining moments you have, you know, the really deep conversation you have with the student or getting the chapter to really have a 180 on their, you know, the priorities. You have another group that's just not getting it. And right. Just fucking it up just, for everybody. Right. Yes. They, you know, they're the ones that, especially now, you know, this is, you know, in my current role, I, I have split time between doing education around prevention work and developing curriculum around that stuff and chapter coaching and coaching 15 undergraduate chapters and just helping them keep their heads on straight uh, <laughs> as we go through a, you know, a very chaotic semester. And yeah. I had this one chapter that the president is the nicest kid in the world. He gets it. He is, I think he's graduating this year, like this, in this, this semester, he's working a job. He works at a warehouse and he's trying to finish out and he has this really good relationship with the campus attorney's sorority advisor but since school has opened i think they've been open four or five weeks three weekends they've had an incident oh, and God. one was like one was like hanging a stupid banner um that said something sexually inappropriate across the street from the dorms where freshmen are moving in oh, and all my kids why and then two of them are were social gatherings that got too large for the things Right. And I'm like, and the kids like the president's just like, I can just I can just imagine him ripping his hair out because he's just like, guys, all I need you to do is just chill the fuck out. And like <laughs> you don't need to have 30 people because they're right now their state is 25. And wow, okay. And he's like, okay. you don't need to have that many people over. Just just be a bunch of dudes and hang out together. You don't need to have outside people coming over. Like, just stop it. <laughs> and like they just can't and i was on a, i was on a call with other people in the similar roles that i work in today and everyone was just talking about our students don't some of our students don't understand that this is a different time right like this is a totally different experience yeah sometimes you know in, in previous years hey be smart about how we socialize be smart you know if it's recruitment it's supposed to be dry because we don't want people joining for alcohol reasons which whatever 
Um, but you know, they're like, part of, I mean, real, realistically, know, it's part yeah, of college, I know, right? I mean, I it's, and that's, that's one thing I don't, it's, it's like, when I think about college, you know, I had gone through my heavy drinking phase through high school, you know, like I could recall going to parties in New Jersey when I was 18, 19 years old and getting completely fucking sauced. So by the time I'm in college, you know, I was, I, I was, you know, I was in with the, the, the jackass crowd, but like, I even still then, like, I didn't drink as nearly to the volume that they did because I, I just like, I don't like being hungover. I don't like losing control like that. So yeah. I, I think, and the reason I bring that all up is because I feel like it helped me when I went to college older because I knew if I, I felt like I knew if I had gone to college when I was 18, 19, I would have flunked out. I would have just drank myself out of college and who knows where I would have been. So I feel like it, it helped me in that regard. But yeah, I mean, it's yeah. like, especially right now too, with trying to do, what you do in the time of a global pandemic where everything is shut down. I mean, it's just literally upending all of your work and it, it makes, I can imagine that the, the stresses of that are, are much more heavy and prevalent now than they were previously. It's just like for me, for me right now, it's been, it's just been like this, like, the, the, the cup can never be full because there's stuff coming in, but there's a whole bunch of holes at the bottom and it's just right. always draining out. And it's just, you just never feel refilled or recharged because, you know, if you have a weekend and then I spend Monday from like the hours of like 10 to one in the afternoon, getting the campus email saying, Oh, by the way, over the weekend we had, you know, we have a, we have a, we, we, we think there might've been a social event that was over COVID standards or something. And we're going to like bring that in or bring that up or, you know, something else, or there's a new update from the campus at large saying, okay, we're going, you know, uh, virtual for two weeks because infections have gotten too high and it's not anything directly about us, but it's just like, okay, cool. And I was, a whole, I just gotten this chapter on track with like, you know, getting their membership rosters updated, getting their bill, and they feel good about how they're going to be able to collect dues for the semester. And they've got a few brotherhood activities planned out that can help keep everyone feel involved. Oh, and now they're going virtual for two weeks. Cool. <laughs> awesome. All that work is just completely undone. Yeah. Hey guys, sorry about that because, you know, that's the other thing is like, the guys are like, well, if we can't party, like, why are we paying dues? And I'm like, you're not here to you just party, answer, pal. You just answered yeah. your own damn question there. And like, I need to, like, to, you have to be able to like convey that in a way that makes them reflect upon their reasons for joining. Right. And it's the whole thing of like, you know, why did you join? And the reason why you joined versus why you stay might change. But for a lot of these guys, the reason they joined was the party and the reason that they're staying is the party. And I'm just like, why are you doing this? There's literally bars. I mean, you could do you know, it. You know, for Westchester, free. you could go oh, anywhere yeah. and do this. Like you go and uh, go to a fucking happy hour at, at Barnaby's and pay five bucks to get in the door, you know, or go to, and there's probably a thousand Jake's bars across the country where you can pay 50 yeah. cents to get a draft. But yeah, so I'm not, I'm not sure if I actually established this point, but I, I, I want to make sure I understand. So you work for, who do you work for now? And then what are the metrics of your position? And like, as far as, cause you kind of touched on a little bit where you help yeah. fraternities and sororities basically like, I don't know if it's reinvent themselves or just help them get organized. What is it? What is that? 
Yeah, so I work for Phi Sigma Kappa fraternity. Um, and my official title is the Associate Director of Prevention and Wellness. Um, in the fraternity and sorority world, prevention work and wellness, like looking at, you know, personal wellness, personal development has been like a pretty hot topic lately, but it's also like a half-assed hot topic. Um, some groups think it's cool. Some th groups think it's like nice, but they see prevention. And instead of doing like preventative work around key issues, like, you know, I've done a lot of work trying to, I'm trying to, the work I'm doing here and the work I've done at a previous organization is really similar. So their system was already set up and I was helping run and organize their prevention work around alcohol, mm. sexual violence, and uh, mental health. And right. in the, where I'm working now, it's more of building it. Um, right. They're, they're kind of starting from, from, from scratch. And I'm trying to figure out how, what makes most sense for their culture and with the organization, what they already have in place, and kind of filling that in. Um, so a lot of that right now, last year was a lot of like new member education stuff and helping them work through the pledge process and stuff like that. And mm -hmm. my boss is actually taking that back over so I can focus more on developing prevention programming um, around, you know, it does a lot of the same topics, hazing, sexual violence prevention, um, alcohol, mental health, and trying to work in some diversity uh, programming as well um, because most of our fraternities are really white uh, <laughs> unless they're a culturally based organization. Uh, right. So most of my work right now is split between doing uh, developing prevention curriculum um, and figuring out how we roll that out to the chapters and what the expectations are for them to do that kind of programming, whether they use ours, they have a campus guest speaker on healthy relationships or something like I'm cool. Do you know, as long as you hit the topic, that's fine. Um, and then most of my time right now is focusing on chapter coaching, which is new this year. Um, given the COVID situation, it was a decision over the summer to say, okay, these five staff people are going to split up the 70 chapters that we have and kind of be the main touch point throughout the year um, for anything administrative, operational kind of stuff. So we've been doing like monthly check-ins with them to say, Hey, like, you know, it's the start of the school year. Did you fill out the start of the school year survey? Are you, is your rosters up to date? You know, are you ready to start collecting dues? How are you getting the guys on board for the semester? What kind of things are you doing to like plan for recruitment? Because you still need to recruit. Like if you right. don't recruit now, I mean, if you don't recruit now and you don't recruit in the spring, like, you could have 15, 20 seniors graduate this year. And if you're a 60 man chapter and all of a sudden you're 40, like, oof, that's going to hurt. Like <laughs> make up a lot of ground there. Yeah. Yeah. Even if you, even if you only get like half the dudes you normally would this year, like that's all I need. It's just to keep, you know, trying to do as balanced as possible. So that's been the struggle of just helping to keep them feel like this year is possible. Um, mm -hmm. So I think a lot of them just dropped everything and gave up in the spring. Like, right. they're just like, yeah. nope, just, I'm putting it down. We'll, we'll look at it again later. Um, now, I'm yeah. good. Yeah, we're not going to do this right now. Yeah. For now, real. I guess I'm, I'm, I'm curious too. I, I was thinking a little bit as you were, as you were talking about some of the things that you do with, specifically with mental health and, and kind of coupled with sexual violence. Um, and I guess even too with the hazing thing, I, I, I feel like Brock Turner was sort of the flashpoint 
for fraternities and even in some aspects and respects sororities. Mm-hmm. I feel like we've always kind of heard these stories. Like I know for sure there was a, there was a, uh, a friend of mine, Jenna used to live across from this fraternity house. Um, when there was always rumor and innuendo about what went on there and, you know, be careful because they might put a chalk mark on you or, you know, like, and then that means you're going to be tagged tonight or, you know, it's just like yeah. all these different things. And I'm, I'm always, I'm curious to know about, I'm always curious about the psychology of these people and what makes somebody like Brock Turner do something like what Brock Turner did and, and, and be a rapist and take advantage of someone uh, in an unconscious state. How much of that do you, do you attribute to sort of the toxic masculinity portion of that macho, you know, t-shirt ripping, Bluto Blutarski bullshit in, in a frat house? You know, I mean, how much of that do you think is responsible for behavior like that i just add from your own professional opinion so i think a lot of it actually some of it stems from that you know this idea of uh this idea of like performing masculinity for each other because masculinity is not for men to perform for women it's for men to perform for men um women don't care like they're in on the game you know they're in the game they kind of they kind of ratify it in certain ways and the things that some things that we allow or don't allow but masculinity is men performing for men well, and the funny, idea of not to cut you off but I, I was thinking about that as you're saying that it's it's like i know i i know guys you know and and this idea, that idea of locker room talk like i don't get down with that shit i don't brag about that. i never have like i've been married for 10 i've been married for eight years i've been with my wife for 10 years even when i was out doing my thing in college I didn't brag about that. You know, like it wasn't something I was like, yo man, just, just fuck this bro. It's like, I don't talk like that to anybody. That's just not never been my thing. So when I hear people say that and do those kinds of things, it is very, it's almost, it's performative in a lot of ways. And it's this very, it's it's obnoxious. I feel like that's the word I'm looking for. Performative is is the word. Performative is the word. Um, (laughs) Part of it is that it's a performative thing. It's masculinity the way that it's performed in that way is also coming from a sense of homophobia of, I don't want the dudes to think that I'm gay. So I'm going to make sure that I let them know that I got laid last night or I have a lot of pool or I have this many notches on my you know, headboard or whatever. Like the fear of being gay or being perceived as gay is what fuels a lot of the performing of masculinity. And the fact that you and I had a really exceptional sex education experience. We are the exception. And the fact that we can, like people cannot put together the idea of, oh, well, if we just teach them absent only and or don't say anything about sex at all and just leave it up to our parents. And I know like, you know, there's some, there is a space for parents to have part of this conversation, but they actually have to have it. And just right. saying, oh, like, well, this was a parent's thing. But yeah, it's a parent's thing. But then, you know, y'all don't do it. So, <laughs> right. Or you're not honest about it. Right. You're not, you're not honest about it. I mean, you're right. also, you know, they're, they're also not as informed. We're telling people right. who didn't have sex ed to then teach people about sex ed as parents. Like, it's the impossible. parents didn't get it, you know. Um, yeah. So it's just, it's, it's, it's a combination of not having good sex ed throughout K 12 experience, living in a performative masculinity world. And all of that synthesizing together where now we have these 18, 19, 20 year olds who are really trying to impress and build social stature and climb that ladder. 
it all comes together of like, oh yeah, the only way I'm going to do this is if I'm going to get, if I can show that I can get laid, I can, you know, I can drink the most beer without getting messy. Or if I do get messy, it's because I'm getting angry and violent and punching holes in walls. Right. <laughs> I used to have a chapter president when I was, when I was advisor, he got drunk and he would either punch holes in walls or he would throw flat screen TVs out the second story window of the chapter house. He went through three of them at least. What the fuck? Dude? Like, what are you doing? I'm like, dude, what's wrong? It was all about a girl. It was always about a girl. I'm like, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Why do you like, why, why destroy this shit? It doesn't make any sense. And so I'm saying it doesn't, it doesn't make any sense to me. Like why it's, it's, I've always been, boggles my mind. I've always been a very, a very openly emotional person. Like I, I cry pretty much every day. I've never been one to shy away from, from my emotions in any way, shape or form. And I can recall times like that, where you mentioned this idea of being like the, 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 cultural fear of homophobia like i can recall one time i was at a, uh, of all places i was at a music video shoot in philadelphia and there was a woman who was upstairs going to the bathroom and i was walking up the stairs as she was like pulling her pants up and i oh geez i'm sorry like i turned my head and oh i'm sorry and she looked at she said, well, well what are you gay no i'm just being polite being first of all i'm being polite second of all i don't want to see you with your your drawers down because it's inappropriate like i'm not that guy you know like i'm, I'm like, not like every I'm, other guy here right? i'm being respectful of I'm your space and like trying to be professional like we're here on a we're here on a work situation what are you doing like why what is like why first of all why would that be the first thing that popped into your head and second of all like I just, it's, it's, it's true. It's the, it's the idea that it's, and I've seen guys like this and I know guys like this who are so fragile and their their worlds are so, <laughs> I love your face right now. I can see it. They're so, their, their egos are so fragile and you have to stroke them and you have to be, Oh no, it's okay. You're the biggest fucking macho guy. It's just like, just cry, man. Just like embrace who you are as an individual. Just feel something. Just you put the wall down. Just put yeah. it down. Knock it the fuck it down. down. You know? Yeah. And be yourself and just and stop this macho shit. And I just I, I can feel it when we talk about it. And I can feel like we're we're basically we're you know, it's it's it is, it's that it's it's a fear of reality and it's a fear of accepting those feelings and it's a fear of being less than in a lot of ways. Yeah. And I feel like I feel like it's that does stem, you know, not just from you know changing the societal views on that, but it also stems in a lot of ways from a, a lack of real proper sexual education and about, you know, uh, about boundaries, no means no. And, and, and all the other things that go into this that aren't taught safety precautions. I mean, Jesus Christ, how many kids out here in college are out there, you know, uh, barebacking and, 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 you know, going without, and it's yeah. just like, uh, you're, you're it, it just the, the STD portion of all this. And it's like, I don't, I, it, it would, it feels like things would be so much better if we were just not as, prudish puritanical. <laughs> yeah puritanical and, and and just and more open and more more uh responsible in the way that we handle these things and i i just it's, it's it's funny because like they the guys that i've worked with they want the opportunity like i was talking about that one that one time i spoke with the chapter about Bo. it's an all-male college you know i think it used to be maybe it wasn't longer but you know it's an all-male college so you're in an all-male space in an even smaller all-male space when you're visiting the chapter house and we were there to talk about sexual those you know sexual violence prevention and 
it was at that point where I was like changing the kind of approach I was using because like the way we were going before it was pretty boring and it's something they've already heard from from the campus. And I'm like, okay, let's let's try and build off of that at least a little bit. And taking my experience as a sex educator from Planned Parenthood, I'm like, all right, let's let's turn it around. Let's talk about how we can have a good sexual experience. And I always, no matter when or no matter what session or uh, how I was approaching that conversation, if it was the sexual violence prevention, I would always ice break with general sex ed. So I'd visit the campus um, health center, see what kind of safer sex supplies they had. Oh, condoms, lube, dental dams, female condoms. All right, we're going to take a whole bunch of these. And okay, guys, before, you know, we're here for the sexual violence prevention program presentation, blah, 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 blah. Uh, I'm Drew, I'm your speaker, like whatever. Before we do that, let's break some ice a little bit. And I would hold up the comment like, all right, three, three fun facts, three important facts about this. Tell me what it is and three, you know, three important facts. And you could just gauge the type of chapter it was real quickly based on how they responded. Sometimes you'd have the guys sitting there like, is, is this really happening? Like, <laughs> what? I'm in a fraternity sexual violence per- prevention presentation with a dude from our headquarters. And he just whipped out a condom. He's asking us what it is and three important facts about it. I'm like, yeah, that's, that's what I'm asking you. Please, please give them to me. And the other guys, the other groups that <laughs> jump on it, they're like, oh, this is, yeah, it's a condom. And, you know, you shouldn't use two at a time. And sometimes you can be allergic to latex. So you should not find non-latex ones. And I'm like, look at you. Good job. Go ahead. But then you, <laughs> as we would progress, because I would usually go condom, lube, female condom, or internal condom, and then dental dam if the campus had dental dams or latex dams condoms cool once they get going they can give me all sorts of facts and we'd mm-hmm. you know we'd myth bust a little bit lube i'd be like all right we have lube let's talk about there's three different types of lube when you use them they're good for this good for that don't use that um like oh that's really cool i never thought about that and of course most of them talking about like water-based lube it's good for sex toys and they're looking at, like sex toys like what why would we use those and i'm like Oh my God. Talk to me when you're older. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah. Talk to okay, me when you're kids. older because this is playtime's over guys. All right, let's get real. Yeah. Come on. I get it. I get it. You're, <laughs> you're dudes. You're mostly having sex with women. Right. The idea of potentially needing a sex toy is, is a, a new idea to you all. Mm-hmm. I get that. That's fine. And I get to the female condom and those would be interesting because like they, you know, you, what's the, it, what's the you, weirdest shit you've heard them say before about a female condom? <sighs> They just all, they're always surprised on how big it is. <laughs> they always look at it and like, that's so big. And I'm like, yeah, because it goes inside and it adheres to the vaginal wall. Huh. <laughs> cool. Instead of what a novel on, concept. Yeah. Instead of going on your dick, it's going in her vagina. And they're like, ah. and I'm like, yeah, the lube especially formatted to like help it adhere to the wall. And you know, it's lubricated and like she can put it in ahead of time if she wants to. If she's on a date and she knows there's a good chance that she's going to hook up later, she can put it in ahead of time. You don't have to worry about it because it's not on you. It's in her. It, you don't get that tight feeling of a, like a regular condom. And you're like, ah, ah okay. It's like all these light bulbs going off all at one time. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and of course you get the couple guys are like, well, why would she put one in ahead of time? I'm like, doesn't that make her slutty? And I'm like, no, it just makes her prepared yeah. and it makes it a whole hell of a lot easier 
you don't have to worry about opening up a condom and putting on your dick and potentially losing your heart on and then having to get that right. back and then put the condom back on and then continue it's to fuck. And it's a like, struggle. Like, Jesus you know, Christ. The, whole, the whole reason you don't want to use the condom is the, because you don't the, want the to lose that, condom, that heart on. Yeah. The female like, condom is duh. eliminating all of those issues. Like, <laughs> and the fact she put it in ahead of time means you don't even have to fucking worry about it. Right. It's feel it, And she could say, hey, I'm good. I got a condom in. And you're like, okay, cool. You know, let's go. And yeah, off we go. Why? Why does this have to be a mystery? Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's just so crazy. Like, why does this have to be so complicated for, the, for, for the guys? Part was, the best part was I was visiting a chapter at San Diego State University, and it was the goofiest situation because they it was April, so it was really nice out, and they have their the way that their house was. It was like like a square apartment building kind of thing like only two stories high but they had a, like a, a square in the center mm-hmm. and they they had the presentation outside so i'm sitting like on this hodgepodge stage that they were using for a social event two weekends ago i can tell because they're still like in post you know post construction deconstruction and i'm like just talking about sexual violence prevention to all these dudes in their courtyard and at the end of that session, I had a dude come to me. He's like, hey, man, like, do you have any extra of those female condoms? And I'm like, I have three on me. You can get more at your health center, which is literally like two blocks down the street from your house. He's like, oh, that's really cool because my girlfriend and I have been talking about trying to you know, start using them. And I'm like, dude, here, yeah. and here's some lube. And here's the dental <laughs> dam that I wasn't going to use. Like, here, here it is. Just and enjoy go talk it. to your yeah. health center because they have so many more. And then... He's like, I had to like literally text my staff. I'm like, oh my God. I literally had an undergraduate ask me for spare female condoms. Like this never <laughs> fucking happens. The best, the best though, is when I, a couple of times the campus would have a dental dam and I'd be like, okay, oh God. dental dams, what is this about? And they're like, like so perplexed. And I get it. I get it. It's a weird concept. We always, right? it is. We all, it's a like, weird concept. And there's, but, this, there's yeah. this inside joke in sex and with sex educators, like how many of us talk about dental, dental dams, knowing that absolutely nobody uses them. Like, right. but it's always one of those things of like, let's put the tool in the toolbox, let people know, and also to help validate that kind of sex because it's for oral sex on a you know on a vagina or on an anus, and that concept eluded a chapter. For a long time, I sat there in full silence. I was like, "All right, what kind of sex would you use a male condom on?" And they're like, "Oh, you know, intercourse and like vaginal, anal, and potentially oral if you're really trying to be safe." I'm like, oh, "Okay, cool." Female condom. They're like, "Well, vaginal intercourse." I'm like, "Yes." And although it's not FDA approved, you could also use it for anal intercourse. It's a little trickier, but you know, give it a try if you want. And I'm like, oh, "What kind of sex would you use the dental dam for?" And this group of 18 to 21 year old guys literally sat there and stared at me for like two or three minutes and had no idea on how you would use the dental dam. And he, the one guy, brave, brave little soul. He's like, well, like, would you just like drape it over the penis and like hold it? And I'm like, no, no, it doesn't. You don't use it when it's involving a penis. And they looked at me like, well, what kind of sex doesn't involve a penis? And I'm like, Oh my God. <laughs> Jesus Christ, guys. Like, I'm sitting there. I'm sitting there. I'm thinking like, I'm a gay dude. Like I have never had sex with a woman. I have had one sexual experience with a trans person. So like one sexual experience 
that included a vagina. And that was interesting. Uh, I don't completely uh, nix it, but you know, it's whatever. It was an interesting experience. Um, And I'm looking at these guys like, I know I'm a, you know, a sex educator. I know I had really good health education. Um, I know I used to work for Planned Parenthood. Like, but like, how do, how do I know about this? And you guys have no and idea. You You've never heard of it. Don't. And I was like, okay, well, it's, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a sex act called conolingus. And they're like, we've heard that word. Yeah. But I don't what? really know what it means. And I'm like, you know, mouth of vagina. Eating around. <laughs> yeah, let's let's get the vernacular that you're used that's, to. Yeah, like, just do it. Yeah. Oh, okay. And I'm like, well, how would you use it that way? And they 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 got it there. They're like, they, like they would you there, hold yeah. it there? And or she? I'm like, either or, you or her, you know, whoever. Also, can be done on the other end for 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 rimming or analingus. And they're like, okay. They're like, why would you do that? And I'm like, don't. Just please don't even. Let's not. No, yeah. Just, <laughs> it's a fun. Look, guys, it's a fun activity, but. Like I'm Listen, not gonna guys, go there with you because you. It's we've too all far, been it's there, too yeah. Yeah, we've all been there, guys. We know how this works. It, uh, yeah, we, <laughs> we don't need to keep use, yeah, your, use your imagination. <laughs> I what? I don't know how oh I got God. through the actual content of the actual violence prevention presentation after that, but I did. Right. And one of the another one of those, you black out and just go on autopilot and. You just do it. Yeah. I just, it's wild. <laughs> wild. Unbelievable. Now you mentioned something I wanted to kind of go back to was uh, about the idea of, of slut shaming. Um, and how difficult of a conversation is that? Do you find it easy to have that conversation in fraternities about the concept of slut shaming and how does it kind of transition with sororities? Does it, it like, what is that? What's the duality there in that conversation because i know that is that's part of this conversation yeah. which you hear you hear all the time you know like with the brock turner case specifically just as an example that we've used already i mean it's just a, well what was she wearing and you know mm-hmm. how much did she have to drink and it's like none of that shit matters because she was yeah. forcibly raped you know call it what it is she was forcibly raped by a man who took advantage of her and it doesn't matter what she was wearing and it doesn't matter what yeah. she how much she had to drink it doesn't matter who she was with she was raped and i think that's the idea of slut shaming comes up and that's all part of that. That's all part and parcel to that. So I'm, I'm curious to know how that works inside of your violence conversation. Yeah. So for the guys, it is a mixed bag. Some of the guys think, you know, when we can explain it to them, like, listen, like when you were talking to your bros and you talk to a bro who, you know, he hooked up with three different girls every weekend, you're giving him a high five, but you find out that this girl had sex with three dudes over the weekend and she is the biggest slut in the world you're like you're for some reason irrationally angry about the fact that she got laid three times like where does that come from right and some guys are how, just is, like, that, well, how is that any different than this guy you know i mean you right the, the three guys she slept with are now champions in the in the male world but she's the yeah. slut and you know she fucks everybody yeah, it's, it's, it's just like it's, know, it's the stud versus the slut mentality yeah. and some of the guys you know, it just just laying it out as bluntly as possible gets their wheels turning they're like because something i'll play i'll play i'll get a little feisty with them but listen like are you mad that they're getting more laid than you are like (laughs) like, yeah i mean but that's honestly that's where some of it comes from it's that pride it's that inability to be vulnerable performative masculinity that's what it is and just just calling them on it it's like come on guys 
Yeah, I mean, some of it also is, ta- is is getting into the conversation about power a little bit with them, because you know, when we look at violence prevention. It is a lot about power dynamics and using power that they have as men and as men as keys to the social experience on campus to the providers of that social experience and usually on their home turf because what the sororities did a long time ago was like hey women in order for us to avoid a lot of the insurance issues we can't have any we're not having social events at our houses and it was a smart idea in the time yeah but then it funneled everything into the men's houses so now there is no safe there's no when it comes to a social event the women are on the guys the women are on the guys turf and it's just everyone's starting to realize what made sense then and what has actually saved a lot of the sororities hundreds of thousands of dollars probably millions of dollars in insurance and stuff like that is now coming back around to say well now they're all in unsafe spaces and that's why a lot of we see fraternities being this kind of hotbed um, because the women don't have other places to go to right. have a social, you know, a social experience talking to them about like, listen guys, you guys, you guys are the ones in charge. And I think, you know, you have the power, whether you know it or not, you have a lot of this power that you can, an authority that you can throw around. Even if you're Joe Schmo freshman, women are socialized to look at men, you know, and you know, see that they are you know, in charge. Um, not to say no, like we have all this gross stuff again, because we don't have good sex ed. Everything yep. comes back to good sex ed. Um, it's true. It really does. Yeah, it does. And also I think what people, I think why people get angry about the woman who is being sexually active is that it's challenging their power. Mm-hmm. She's like, I'm Absolutely. taking the control. I'm taking the authority. I'm deciding. And the idea of that, while for a lot of guys, it's probably really sexually exciting and that they won't ever admit it because, you know, uh, <laughs> <laughs> or men, yeah, because men are weird. Yeah. 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 Um, I think that's why they get, I think that's part of the reason why they get upset. The interesting it's, thing. It's also the reason why there's, there's also the reason why there's a lot of porn where it's one female and six or seven dicks and one, one video. And it's just like, yeah. why you guys are so fucking uptight about this, but yet you are the guys who are streaming this. This has several million views on Pornhub. And you know what I mean? It's like, this is why this stuff is, is it exists. It's because you're yeah. acting out a fantasy that you don't want to admit that you want to happen. Right. Or that yeah. you want to be a part of, you know? So yeah, oh, I get that. Going back to yeah. that conversation with women, I volunteer for a couple of stories and I've done some violence prevention programming with them on a volunteer basis. And man, you kind of get where it comes from with the men. Mm-hmm. It, you know, you kind of, it kind of makes sense. When you have women who are slut shaming and doing that, like, well, like, you know, she got drunk, she was wearing this and she was, you know, she was flirting with him earlier at the dance and stuff like that. And are doing the same stuff that we kind of get really angry about men doing. I'm just like, how, how, when, you know, mm-hmm. we're talking about this hypothetical situation where one of your sisters is sexually assaulted by a fraternity man that you know, and here's the scenario. Let's talk about how we can help prevent this from happening, blah, 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 you know, and always there's going to be a couple of women that say, well, what was she wearing? And how, you know, how could she get that drunk? And I'm like, oh, Usually in that situation, a lot of the other, a lot of the other sisters in the room are like, they take up the charge. They're like, listen, this is, that's not the point. Right. We exactly. as sisters should be keeping an eye on her. We should never let anyone alone, especially if we're not in our own house or in our own safe space. Like we always mm-hmm. should be playing buddy system. We always should be doing that, keeping an eye on each other, letting newer members know 
how to be safe at parties, um, but also having the conversations with the men, like, hey, if there's any fucking funny business, like we're not doing this anymore. Like right. that's where they right. have the power. Laying that that ground rules, right? Right up front. Here's like what, what the, we expect. And try like we have to remind the sorority women that they have that power. They have the power to take their ball and go home. Mm-hmm. And they can decide, you know what? This fraternity is cool. They're nice, they're safe, there's when we go to their house or go to an event, there's always, you know, there's always something to drink or we can bring our own. Um, they always provide like non-alcoholic beverages. There's always something to snack on. And like the party isn't just the party room. Like there's the party room, but there's also like a nice place to go hang out. You know, it's quiet and we can sit down and like, it's less busy. Those are all really good indicators of like a safe party. Right. And safe places for people to go and just chill yeah. and do whatever. Right. Yeah. And you know, it, it's within their scope to say, we're only going to party with guys who give us this environment, but they need to be reminded that they have that power. They have mm-hmm. the ability to take their ball and go home and not put themselves at risk, but it's just so ingrained. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, sororities, party fraternities, the fraternities put on the things, the fraternities have to be- basically do bare minimum to be able to do this. And then it becomes, right. you know, in the worst case scenarios, it becomes fish in a barrel. But, you know, I think I, I'm hopeful that the situations are getting better. People are becoming more aware of things that they look like, oh, I never would have considered that being an indicator of a, of a bad environment or a risky environment. Let's change that. Or, you know, we've been putting in the, um, the fraternity community at large has put in a, a ban on any alcohol over 15%, um, which it's a new thing. It's a year old. Who, you know, how many students are actually following it? Who knows? But it's still, you know, we're trying to, you know, avoid high, like, you know, high use of liquor versus beer and wine, which is slower to get drunk on. Um, I, you know, I'm hopeful that people are getting the memo, but every once in a while, you know, you, you get that big case that comes up and you're just like, well, cool. COVID is, uh, so far in my experience this semester, is reducing the amount of, like, uh, alcohol transport re- uh, reports and stuff. So that's good because people mm-hmm. aren't socializing. <laughs> right. It's a, it's a COVID. COVID is, has it's, become the great It's the silver lining. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's the silver lining of like, oh, well, they can't do social events and they can't do new member education in person. There's probably going to be a lot less alcohol transports and a lot less hazing incidents. So we'll take that's it. A, that's a win right there. Do you, now, do you, do you feel like you have made a difference in all of your work and all the campuses that you visited? Cause it sounds like you go coast to coast pretty much up and down, left, right. Do you feel like you've, do you feel like you've made a difference in the work that you do? And if so, how, made, so I don't know how it'll pan out to, you know, we can look at things at like a local, you know, person to person level, you know, in their chapter level, the campus community, and then like, you know, get to a large, like socio, you know, large United States cult- culture, which is a hot mess. Um, <laughs> For obviously, obviously, I'm not making much impact there. And, you know, the impact that one Joe Schmo facilitator from attorney headquarters is having on a campus community, maybe, maybe not. But I think at the individual level and 
maybe at the chapter culture level sometimes i'm like i can at least like if i can like scoot the needle just a little i feel like i'm doing something mm-hmm. if i can help guys realize that conolingus is a thing and they should be if their partners want it they should be engaging in it you know that'd be great i'm happy yeah. about that you know i <laughs> this january i was volunteering at a at an officer training we were talking about i was there to do like their risk management officer training but then also leading a convert like a breakout conversation on masculinity and i got them to talk i got them as a group talking about butt stuff and using the <laughs> phrase butt stuff and like just like helping to normalize all that lingo all that stuff yeah. like that's taboo to them yeah yeah and like we were talking about masculinity and we we're talking about how masculinity is limiting to what they're allowed to do and i i was like all right I'm, and i told them i have a master's in sexuality education i used to be a planned parenthood educator like sex ed is my is my focus so let's talk about masculinity and how it's limiting to the kinds of sex you're allowed to have you know allowed to have quote, quote unquote allowed yeah yeah and they were like what do you mean and i'm like well what you're allowed to have is you're allowed to get your dick sucked and you're allowed to have vaginal sex. And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, but if you want to go down on your, on your partner, if you have a female partner and want to go down on her, you're a pussy because you eat pussy. Like they're like, yeah, that is kind of limiting. And I'm like, and let's think about butt stuff. Some people's bodies really respond to butt stuff. There's a lot of nerve endings that can be really pleasurable there. And just getting a little rub could be really nice. Mm-hmm. But we, the culture tells us that if a dude gets anything near his butthole, he's gay. Even if it's a woman or eight women doing it to him, like he's gay because he's got something within the vicinity of his butthole. Like, <laughs> right. Which is, I mean, it's just like, it's just, I don't, I just, it, yeah. Because it, it, it was, it was just funny. Cause I'm having this, it, this, I think it was like 12 or 15 dudes. And they're all just looking at me like, you're really giving us real talk right now. And I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm here to give you real talk and letting you know, letting you in on the secret that this whole game that we're playing masculinity and, you know, chase the and you chase the most masculine man and try and beat him and that kind of stuff is it's limiting. You know, masculinity is a prison. Like, <laughs> yeah. And I had yeah. two, I had two graduate students. They, they're grads from ball state, which is right near, where we are in Indianapolis, it's an hour away. And they were visiting as well. And they're like, Hey, Drew, like, we'd really just like to watch you do this session because, you know, we're students, we we're really interested in masculinity conversations with fraternity men. We'd really love to just watch you do this conversation. And they're like, we had no idea. Cause I kind of took like the outline and kind of mm-hmm. did whatever with it. I also wrote that session when I used to work for that organization. So like, I was like, whatever, I'm just gonna do whatever I want. And they're like, you literally got them to talk about sex and bought stuff specifically in such like a chill way. And I'm like, yeah, like it's not everyone's skill. Like it takes a very specific skill set and experience and knowledge base to be able to do that comfortably. But when you can do it, they will eat it up. They might feel awkward, but like, they, they will eat it up when they have the chance. Like every time I've, I've done something like around masculinity, violence prevention, healthy relationships and break the ice with some kind of sex, sex stuff. 
even with the mental health conversations, like I will go, you know, I'll loop it in and they're just like, Oh, we we're allowed to do this. I'm like, yeah, you're allowed to do this. When you know, we talk about mental health, we talk about coping skills. We always get the first couple of things off, like video games, workout, eat, sleep, jerk off. Actually, no, they won't usually say jerk off. I'll usually give it to them. Like, all right, guys, like I'm going to put one out there. I know you're all thinking it, but you're not saying it. Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, there you go. You, we can say anything here. I'm not recording anything. Like right. we can say whatever you want. And, and then like getting them, like they, they it, it breaks a barrier for them a little bit. And they're like, then you see the, the coping skills that like they're really close to them and they actually mean something to them. And they're like listening to music or writing, you know, I, you know, it's the women will always toss out journaling, writing really quickly. Mm -hmm. It always takes the men a few and they're like, a couple of guys were like journaling and they're like, yeah, you know, I just jot a few things down every day. Um, if I'm having a really rough time and it just helps me to write it out and kind of helps me figure out what's going on. And I'm like, oh, really cool. I should, I should do that. And I'm like, right. And you can see all the light bulbs kind of going off in everybody's heads and they're like, wow, this, you yeah. know, it's, again, it's, it's that ice breaking thing. Again, it's the idea of if somebody, I mean, again, as a writer, like somebody hearing that you write something down where you journal something, it's like, Oh man, that's the name. That's, you know, that's gay. Yeah. It's like, no, it's, it's not like that's, that's a, that's a very valid, acceptable way to cope with something and to deal with it. And I, I, yeah. I, I do find it still fascinating again, that there's such a stigma about something like that, which I, I, I just, it's one of those weird sort of anomalies that you're not really sure why it is. It just is, but it's fascinating that they, it takes them that long to get there. I mean, obviously, if somebody's talking about jerking off in a in a in a, in a, a education setting, it's going to break the ice. It's going to break. It's going to crack the room it's, up. You know, it's it's, it it's, it's it's yeah. Because again, yeah, you're, like, you're you're programmed to be awkward about it, right? But it's it's yeah. not at the end of the day. Yeah, and that's and that's I think with the good health health experience I've had with being gay, but also in a fraternity and the knowledge base and the skills I developed as an educator in general and working upon parenthood. Like I've been trying to use all those different things to like, let the guys know when I'm doing a presentation with them. Like I am the dude you can ask any stupid question. If we were supposed to be here for an hour and a half talking about violence prevention, but we end up spending an hour and a half with you all talking and asking about weird ass sex, sex ed questions or if I am spending some time myth busting stupid shit you've heard online or some right. student talk about, I'm happy. Like, let's do it because like mm -hmm. that kind of knowledge is also stuff that breaks down those weird barriers and misconceptions and weird cultural things that we do because all those things get are peeling away at that. And this sounds direct, but it's, it gets there, I think, eventually. And yeah, I think, you know, letting them see like, they're like, okay, this dude obviously works for a fraternity. He's a member, maybe not of their organization, but he's a member. And, you know, the guys that are, the guys that are queer, they can, they can probably tag me pretty quickly, but like the dudes who aren't, they might not until I really get going. Cause then, you know, mm. the Philly comes out in me and I get very gestury with the hands and, uh, they're like, okay, it really comes out. That's literally, if you watch, I've recorded the video right now and it's the whole time I'm just fucking, Hey, yo, 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 what's up? Yeah. It's, a, it's, a, it's, just, a lot of times it's literally it's like ingrained it's, in my DNA. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of times it's like Midwest schools or a couple of West coast schools. And they're just like, 
you're not from anywhere near here. And I'm like, no, I'm from Philadelphia. I will say, you know, if I'm getting really excited, really angry, or I'm a little tipsy, you'll say, I'll be saying water and all sorts mm-hmm. of stuff. And <laughs> I'll probably be talking about cheesesteaks for no apparent reason. Yep. And yeah. So <laughs> I don't know where every I was going time, with that. Every but, time. No, it's, a, I guess to sort of sum it all up, what, yeah. what in a perfect world in Drew's perfect world, how do you solve the issues of sexual violence and this hyper masculinity, the performative masculinity we've been talking about and, 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 how do, what will solve that? What is, what's the key to unlock the, unlocking that mystery? I mean, it's going to go back to what we talked about earlier. It's, 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 we have to do, we have to have more sex ed and sex ed in the idea of, it's not just talking about nuts and bolts and like how sex happens and what, puberty, what happens during puberty and like talking about STD prevention and pregnancy prevention. Like that's a part of sex ed, but like also about healthy relationships and healthy communication and think, you know, doing some introspective work to think about what you want and how you identify and where you are, all of those things together as this curriculum of personal development, like starting in kindergarten, talking about how to ask for permission. You know, I have a really great colleague who works for, and I think she works in late elementary school or middle school. And instead of asking for a permission slip, she, she hands people consent slips or the, you know, the hall pass is like a consent pass. And, um, because it's the same thing. Consent is permission. You know, you're asking permission, you're asking consent. Exactly. Um, and just getting them used to the words and thinking about what healthy relationships are, how to establish barriers, how to communicate your expectations and barriers and like all that stuff and looking into yourself and knowing what you actually want versus what, weird performative masculinity is telling you what you want it all is going to lead to people just being happier because they're getting what they want versus exactly what they think they want and like you know i've tried to have some of those conversations with guys and sometimes they're not ready for it they're just not there because they've gone through this experiences where they haven't had this you know it's doing a lot of catching up and trying to get them to speed on things that they're not ready to get caught up on and it's just like the best way for you to have a good sexual experience is one to know what you want if you don't like getting a blowjob let people know that because like maybe it's not the most you know good feeling for you like it just it maybe it's uncomfortable maybe it's awkward maybe it makes you go too fast and you know you don't you don't like it you don't need to get them you can tell your partner hey i really don't like that can we do this um the other key aspect to having a really good sexual experience is asking the other person what they want to do and that's such a foreign concept and i always tell them i always make the joke I'm like you guys need to take a tag from gayland and our dating apps because grinder and scruff are all about like what are you into it's preferences right put it put it put yep. it in your profile it's literally like, what are you looking for that's the tag you know that's the section what are you looking for mm-hmm. and like you know the best way to get a good experience out of a dating app is to fill out that section truthfully honestly but what are you looking for are you looking for one night stands cool what kind of stuff are you into cool and like that's how most that's how a lot of people in like gay world they we start off our conversations we have we met off a grinder right. met off a scruff hey man what are you into what are you looking for there takes out all the ambiguity as right. long as people are as long as people are being honest and truthful and right. you know, know what they're asking for and know what they want 
Because it's not like you're just meeting on. It's not like you're meeting on a dating app, and then all of a sudden you're just like snapping this chick a picture of your dick. Like it's it's you know it's a consensual conversation. Like hey, what are you into? It's just like what kind of movies do you like? You know, it's it's. I feel like ultimately for me, if I'm looking at it in Adam's perfect world, it's like we should normalize these conversations, right? Because I feel like it does. It takes away a lot of that. I don't want to say like fire, but it takes away a lot of that like uncomfort, discomfort rather, having those conversations with people, and 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 it, it. it absolves you from having to be in a situation, not just women, but men being mm-hmm. in a situation where it's like it, things, shit gets weird and goes south fast. Yeah. Um, like I always, I always tell people like sex is awkward, no matter how much you have it, how often you have it, how long you've been having it with that person, sex is awkward, but we can remove some of that awkwardness ahead of time by asking questions and having a conversation about it ahead of time. Oh, you don't know if the girl you hooked up with last night, while you were kind of foggy because you had too many drinks, if she's on birth control, maybe you should talk to her now. Hey, like, how the phone okay? call, yeah. right. Jeez. Hey, like, how was your night last night? Everything okay? Like, quick question. Like, I know this is awkward, but like, you know, we didn't get to talk about it before, but like, do I need, do we need to worry about anything? Are you in birth control? Mm-hmm. Are you using it? Do we need to go to CVS and get emergency contraception? Like I love teaching guys about emergency contraception. They're like, wait, that's a thing. I'm like, yes, this guys, is how it it's works. 2020. Yeah. This is and literally, like, this you is can science, get it. It's biology. Most of your, most of your campus health centers have it for like half price because they don't want fucking pregnancies on campus right. because that's negatively impacting, uh, you know, uh, attrition. Like, yeah, right. we don't, we don't, if we can avoid it, the We're campus gonna is going to provide it. Yeah. Like, it's ridiculous. It's all because, you know, we don't talk about it and we don't, we don't offer it in, in their K to 12 experience. And, you know, busy beyond once they get to college, like it's the general, like new student consent. Here's our sexual violence policies. Maybe they take a human sexuality class. It's not required anywhere, but maybe they take it for shits and giggles, or they're in a gender studies class uh, major and they they have to take it through that, or psychology. But most people aren't required to do it in college, and they're not required to do it in high school. So like they're never fucking getting it, right? And like my goal, my dream, if I can't get it in K to twelve, I'm gonna try and drive it home to them college and like trying to be the sex educator in college courses positions are like unicorns. They don't, they, they exist only for a very fleeting time. And there's 800 of us trying to get the same job. Um, but like, and that's why I was trying to do a little bit through this role, my past role with fraternities. Like it's a direct pipeline. It is a captive audience of a bunch of dudes who most likely have not had sex ed that I can deliver sex education too. And it's just always awkward to talk to the board and like, Hey, like I'm doing some stuff like on alcohol and hazing prevention and mental health and sexual violence prevention. But I think it'd be really cool too, if we could implement, you know, some basic sex, sex, sex ed, sexual health education. And they're like, you lost me a little bit on that last part. And I'm like, okay, let me talk about this whole thing about how, like, if we can talk about it in a positive way and demystify stuff and look at the, the whole concept of sexuality and not just the, the nuts and bolts of doing it and communication skills and all this stuff. And they're like, yeah, we're still kind of lost. Can you just talk about sexual violence prevention? And I'm like, 
you're missing the that's chief what component that's of what the I'm, important but that's thing. But yeah. that's what I'm doing. <laughs> right. Just on the it's other just, end. You're, you're creating a positive sexual image for people in order to prevent sexual violence. And, and if we can build all, them, of the things, all yeah. those skills to have a good, healthy sexual experience, it innately reduces the risk of unconsensual sex and sexual violence. Bingo. People look at each other as human beings and sexual partners and realize they both have equal stakes and they should be both voicing their opinions and their barriers and their wants and needs. And, you know, sex is really goofy when you're high or when you're drunk, like maybe we shouldn't do it that often. Right. Like, but if you're both okay with it and you've already talked about it all sober, like this is the times when it is okay. Like, okay, cool. Like you you have to have those conversations, but you know, it is, it is, it is something weird about the current college hookup culture of just everyone, everyone's afraid to talk about it. They know it's a thing. Everyone thinks everyone's fucking, but like really not everyone's fucking because a lot of Gen Z, but like they're not having sex as much as millennials and generations before us. Isn't that funny? I never, I see, I would have thought the complete opposite that Gen Z would just be, everyone's just fucking everyone. And I know that's a, that's no, a weird no, concept because, because Gen X probably, oh, well, we're like the, I don't know. It's a, it's the X. We're right. The, we're a we're, coach. We're old, yeah. we're old millennials. We're old I was going to say, yeah, we're the, we're the original millennials, I think. Yeah, but I think there's like a Gen Xer uh, a content, good component in there. I'm not really sure, but I'm sure that like, they thought that yeah. of us. Yeah. Oh, like yeah. Gen Xers before that, and then the boomers, of course, just well, the everybody. I mean, that's the thing. We, like, millennials were, were having more sex than Gen Xers, but then Gen, this Gen Z group is not. They're, but they're also that's more... True. There's, there's a whole lot of interesting research around them as a generation and they're just getting to college now. I think it's their second year in college. And yeah, they're like, they're not having sex as much. They're a bit more cautious about things in general. They're a bit more, um, we're like, we were like kind of more, Oh, like we're going to do, maybe we'll do a little time to explore. You know, we were a bit more wishy-washy. Like they're like, no, we're doing it. Like this is yep. what we need to do. They're a bit more directed. I feel, um, which is why do you think counter, yeah, I was gonna say, counterintuitive? Why do, you, why do you think that is? Just out of, just out of curiosity, like what what do you think it is that that's causing them to be that way? Well, I think it's part of it's. You know, we grew up as adults or almost adults through nine eleven, through the two thousand eight crash, and just all the other bullshit that's happened from then now, yeah. and it all happened to us as we were in like our formative formative years high school college getting out of college and to, take it really, to take it back further though too bill clinton's impeachment was over a fucking blow job in the oval office i mean we're not talking about like russian collusion here we're talking about a fucking blow job the yeah, guy cheated on his wife and got caught so in our hands you're hearing lied all about it. and you're like wait he did what with a cigar and like as a, I mean, what were we in middle school when that happened? 1999. Well, that was the summer after Limp Biscuits. So that was probably like 99, 98, 99. Like, uh, I had the bleach chair too. I'm sure you remember. But it was, it was like learning all of that and being like, there was, it was just this weird, like, prudish, uh, just very weird 
scenario, this weird time where like everybody's like, oh my God, it's a sexual deviant. Like, like well, dude, he just kind of fucking, he just kind of, his dick's up. Like, it's not like he, you know, like he, yeah, he cheated on his wife. Like, let's not yeah. downplay that. But like, mm-hmm. you know, I feel like yeah. that started, I mean, and there's a plenty of other conversations to have about Bill Clinton and his sexual proclivities. But like, I, I feel like in that context and that lens for us, like that was really our first like public exposure to maybe sex and maybe that tainted it a little bit but yeah i feel like that and then major yeah good that and then like also like like we were talking about before like we also watched the 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 collective coming out of like the lgbt community a little bit you know the start Mm -hmm. of that as we were going through all this other stuff and like that i think for a lot of people is also like a bit of awakening and like you know let's just you know they're getting what you know they're working to get what they want I want to get what I want kind of a thing. And like, you know, it might take us some time to figure out what we want and what we're doing. But while we're, while we're along the way, like we're going to have some fun and we're going to get laid. (laughs) Um, You know, but for, you know, for us, we still also delayed how early we start having children. um, Partly because we weren't financially in a stable place to do, you know, afford housing and stuff like that. So like the idea of settling down and having, you know, my parents were 21 and 25 when I was born. And like the idea, I'm 35 now, and the idea of having a child boggles my mind. I am still renting. Like, no, like yeah. I have three. <laughs> I never, like, I, I never I, envisioned myself owning a house or owning property. Like, it's it's something that completely evades me because I think I'm so scarred from paying four fifty four fifty a gallon my junior and senior year of high school for gas oh my God, during yeah. student teaching remember? during student teaching oh my i'm God. sitting there not working and driving a half an hour to downing town five dollars a gallon four, dude. yeah going, oh, oh my like, god i remember i was going to broadcasting school in jersey going over the fucking bridge putting 25 dollars oh. in my car and it's five gallons of gas i'm like what the fuck is going on here yeah it's it's when we when I mean, we got yeah when we got our licenses and our permits when it was 99 cents Mm-hmm. Yeah. We went from ninety nine cents. Man. We went from ninety nine cents. I remember when it rolled over to over a dollar and I like said something to my mom. I'm like, I'm never gonna pay you know, I, I can never imagine paying more than such and such. And then here I am during student teaching, paying four fifty a gallon uh-huh. in in what ten years. Yeah. That was probably, that was why well, I would say that, well, the gas, was that a gas crisis? I can't remember. I, I, so much happened. I don't, even, w, I, don't I can't even remember. remember. I know it was 2000. I know it was 2005 for sure. Cause I remember going over that bridge into Cherry Hill to go to school. And it was like, how the fuck am I going to get home? Because my gas light is still on. I only put five gallons in the car and I still got to make it back to Bucks County from Philadelphia after get over the fucking bridge, the Tacony Palmyra. And it was like, it's owning a house and having children like I uh, you know for me like I always wanted to be a dad that was one thing that I just always wanted to do in my life and like I didn't know when it was going to happen or like where I would be and being in this position now having three kids and like just you know financially with everything that's going on in in the current administration and, and the world in general it's it's tough man like it's it's not it's no joke and I think like it's it's a, it's a, it's an alien concept to a lot of people in our ages as the older millennials, we could call them. I mean, it's like, we yeah. lived, like you said, we lived through that financial crisis. I watched my parents lose their house 
in the countrywide mortgage scheme. They got caught up in that unknowingly and they lost everything. So for me, buying this house was like, it was a redemption of sorts, but it, like, I literally live in fear every day. Like, fuck, like, what if I fall behind on my mortgage payments? I'm going to lose my house. You know, like, it's just, it's this weird dynamic that we, that I live. It's this weird dance. So I totally understand that. We're actually, when we move to Pittsburgh, we're going to be living in, a, in an apartment for six to nine months. And I'm like, Thank God, a little bit of stress off me for a little while until we buy our next place. If we get, you know, it's just, you know, it's it's yeah, it's weird. But but to get back to the the Gen Z thing, like and one thing to sort of tie it back into what we were talking about is I, my first sexual experience. I lied and said that I had done it before because you know, I mean, this she was way out of my league, you know, and, and was like, <laughs> you know, she had a, a big old butt, and you know, like the whole thing was just like perfect, and I'm just like, oh fuck, like I gotta pretend like I'm like you know macho man and you know yeah 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 i did this before yeah i had no idea what the fuck i was doing man you think like i had no idea it was just like to think about that and 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 being just so headstrong and so masculine to be like yeah yeah i'm gonna do this you know and it's like i i think that's that's a missing component in that in gen z and i think it has to do with a lot of the things that we talked about you know it's a lot of that you know the the I think a lot of the, the stigma is gone from that not just with with you know sort of the um I don't want to say hetero, heterosexual, heteronormative stuff, but I think like a lot of the LGBTQA um, uh, stigma is gone. So people are exploring mm-hmm. a lot more and there's not this, I don't think there's as much um, inference or, or pre- social pressure for these kids yeah. to do these things. And I think that that all plays part and parcel to that whole thing. But yeah, I mean, I, I, I can surely attest to that. I'm sure as you did, where you're just like, Oh yeah, I feel like I got to do this because fuck, I could be blown up in an airplane in another building next to you. I got to fuck something, you know, <laughs> you got to just do it. And it's like, it's this, it's weird. Like it's a weird time yeah. to be alive. Well, it's funny. Cause you, you mentioned that. And my first experience was with that guy who hit on me at CBS and when everything clicked in my head. He right. left me a phone number. I called him and he picked me up after work. And like, I was so just, again, I was a goofy ass kid. Like I was like, listen, this is my first time. And he was like, Oh fuck. <laughs> like he, he could <laughs> literally tell you, he's just like, well, we'll still have fun. And I'm like, yeah, no, we're so, you know, you're, I'm already yeah. in the car. So like, you're going to take me into New Jersey because it was new hope, and, you know, right across the street. And it was, it was a wild experience. I had no idea what to anticipate, but I also like no idea what to anticipate, but also like already kind of knew what was, what I was supposed to, or what I imagined to be doing in that right. experience. And it was just like, mm-hmm. it was again, another one of those experiences where I like completely blacked out and don't remember any of it. Yeah. I yeah, bits and pieces of it. Yep. And like, there was no alcohol involved or anything, but just like the idea of holy shit this is happening. I'm some 17 year old kid who's as i think about now hooking up with a dude who's the same age as i am now wow like, yeah yeah <laughs> thank wow. god the age of consent was not uh not 18 um, <laughs> it was all it was all well and good like and it, it's just you know it's this whole thing of like uh, you know this it's this whole conversation about you know age consent and when it comes to like gay hookups like when you're a young gay kid and like all you have potentially like you want to find uh, community and sometimes all you can do through that is to hook up with somebody, mm-hmm. you know, you might have a bunch of 16, 17 year old kids on grinder and scruff who are supposed to be 18 lying right. and saying that they're 18. Um, Which know, opens up an entirely different can of worms and a, and a whole different set of liabilities and issues for, yeah. for people in general. Right. Yeah. 
yeah, but you know, it, it, I was so, I was also so like weirdly innocent and he was just like, you know, you were talking about like, yeah, you know, I, yeah, this isn't my first time. I totally know what I'm doing. And I went in it like, yeah, this is my first time. I don't really know what I'm doing, but I'm really excited. And yeah. And it, it was like, that's the thing. Like I was so hyped and I was like, fuck, it's finally happening. And like, as a, as a straight kid, like, like it's almost if you don't fuck at a certain time, you have this, you're a virgin, you're this, you're that. And it's like, again, it's that social pressure that you have. So when I had, I was dating this girl and I mean, she was again, like still, I can't, still can't quite wrap my head around how I continue to shoot out of my league. But like I, even my wife, like my wife is way too hot for me, but like, I, I was like so hyped and I'm like, yes, this is amazing. This is, and you have, you're right. You have this idea of what it's supposed to be like and what you're supposed to do. And, and this, and my biggest fear was finishing too early and <laughs> being like, Oh great. Now. And now there's another added layer of stress on top of that. But again, it's like, it's, yeah. it's, you know, I think, I think our world sort of connect in that, context because you are you're sort of worrying about the same things but it's also this like crazy excitement about it and you're like yes i'm finally yeah. doing this and i'm experiencing this part of who i am because that's at the end of the day and that's one of the things that i took away with with my mom teaching us about not just her sexuality as as when we were kids but also ours it's like it's a part of who mm -hmm. you are like you shouldn't yeah. be ashamed of this you know uh you know my brother is is bisexual and 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 he's uh, always sort of felt he's he told me he was like i've always kind of felt this way i always knew that this was who i who i am mm -hmm. um but it's always been something that in in our house has never been you know stigmatized or or uh you know looked down upon so i think i, I think in a lot of ways that's transitioned into the generation below us maybe there were you know boomers or gen xers who had the gen z's and are, that that conversation is just prevalent all the time and i think that yeah. could also play a part of it too but um yeah, I think I think what you do is is fantastic. I love the idea of of having this wealth of knowledge and the the ability to create positive change, not just in your community but across the country, in a world that has been plagued by things like and who basically get get blackballed in a lot of ways for the actions of of of, of someone like Brock Turner and you know and largely just from stories you hear about different things and and here and there. But I, I think it's really important what you do. And I, I just, I love the idea of talking to you about it because I just, I find that so fascinating. And I'm, I'm really stoked that you shared, you know, your life with me on, on the show today. I, I'm, I'm, I'm very appreciative of this and, and for you to take the time out to talk to me. So I just want to say thank you for doing this. And I'm, I'm, I'm really glad we had this conversation. Yeah, thank you for having me. I really, this has been really exciting just to be able to talk to, you know, I really enjoy being able to talk to people about the, these different concepts and, because like you know you 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 got really excited about being able to talk about this everyone that we talk you know every time we talk about these concepts it, it, it can excite somebody and get them to then talk to somebody else about it and kind of get the conversation going um further and further and further and you know i think that's that's really exciting to see people just latching onto this idea and being able to talk about it you know maybe it's just one piece and being able to talk about it with people close to them and then you know, we just make a little, a little bit of change here and Move there. Move that needle. Yeah. Move that needle just a little bit. Just a little bit. But it's enough to make a change. Now, final thought. One piece of advice. Anybody that's listening. One piece of advice that you would give to anybody. Yeah. Uh, Put you on the spot a little bit. Sorry. No, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> I have a couple, and you know, I'm trying to put a, trying to put a thought together. Um, 
I would say if you want to try it, try it. Whatever it is, as long as it's done safely and consensually um, and with people who want to do it, uh, whether it's a sexual thing or whether it's a, you know, I want to go try wine tasting, go do it. I don't care. Just go. If it's something you wanted to do, go do it. Um, find someone who to do it with, do it by yourself. Maybe do a little research ahead of time to figure out what you're supposed to do and how to do it properly and how to do it safely, but just do it, you know, give it a shot. And if you give it a shot and you don't like it, cool. You don't have to ever do it again, but you know, you gave it a shot and you won't ever have to worry about, Oh, I wish I tried doing that when I had that chance. Like no, you, you took the chance and you did it and you've, you either really enjoyed it and you love doing it. It's a continuum. It's a new habit of yours or you did it and you're like, Nope, absolutely not. Never again. And you know, never again, you've now established a new boundary. And when your friends say, let's go wine tasting, you're like, no, I don't like wine. I get headaches because of tannins and you, you know, if you want to go do beer tasting, I'm cool with that, but no wine tasting for me. Thank you. Drew, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. I really appreciate it, man. Yeah. Good. Good talking with you. Absolutely. Always a pleasure. Thanks again to Drew Kerwood for stopping by the podcast today. One thing I wanted to do before we wrap up is just give a quick nod to something that he mentioned during the episode. The Rainbow Room is an LGBTQA youth program that provides a supportive and empowering environment for youths ages 14 to 21. Weekly meetings are a free and confidential place where you can learn, build support networks, and have a great time. Program topics include sexuality, education, life skills. They have guest speakers and game nights. There's all kinds of great stuff to do there. The Rainbow Room is located at the Salem United Church of Christ, 186 East Court Street in Doylestown, PA. Now, typically, they have meetings every Wednesday night from 6 to 8. But right now, in the middle of the pandemic, I'm not sure they're holding anything. So I would take a look at their Facebook page and any other social media to find out when their next event's coming up. Thanks again to Drew Kerwood for stopping by the show. And thank you, friends. I appreciate you and your support. And I'll see you next week. Radio is recorded and produced by Adam Barnard and Sam Kreps. Our intro and outro is produced by Dumb Ugly. Leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Follow us on Instagram at Foundation underscore radio. Find us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Foundation Radio Pod. This has been a Foundation Radio production. 